Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Thank you and good morning to each one of you. It is a joy and a privilege for me to have the opportunity of addressing you this morning. Some of you I have known for many years and others I have just met this morning, but I am glad that you are here. Whenever I hear someone speak for the first time, there are three questions that are in my mind, possibly questions that are in your mind too. Number one, who is this guy? Question number two, Does he know what he's talking about? And number three, the question is, uh, what am I going to do about what he has just said? So I will take a few minutes to briefly answer some of those questions. Number one, who is this guy? Well, the stork delivered me to Presbyterian Hospital some 82 years ago, and I grew up here in Denver. I am a Denver boy, can't help it, I went to grad, Thatcher, and then South High School. And then when I was 14 years, 10 years, 10 years old, I found the Lord as my personal savior. A couple of years later, I was at a youth camp and God called me to preach. You say, how do you know God called you to preach? It was a gut witness, this is what I want you to do. I came home and told my mother and she cried. <laughs> uh, I will never forget that event. But then shortly after that, I began preaching and teaching. I would go down on Larimer Street, and I would be at the missions. I went wherever I could, and I began to proclaim the good news of the gospel. I have no idea how many countries that I have been in since then. The, third, the second question is, does he know what he's talking about? I wrote a doctoral dissertation on the work of the Holy Spirit. And then about three years ago, I felt that tap on the shoulder, you're not getting any younger, it's time for you to go ahead and to put something in print regarding this subject, which I did. As you came in this morning, you probably saw a book table. It's kind of depleted right now, but we have some of the books there, and if we're out of a book that you would like, we'll have it sent to you right away. Darlene and I married in 1959, and immediately after that, we went to Europe in evangelism. We were in England, Scotland, and Wales, and in a different church every night for 90 days. We came back home, having been called to be an associate pastor with one of the Denver churches. And during that period of time, we began analyzing how can we reach the greatest number of people in a given lifetime. Jesus said, go into all the world and proclaim the good news to every person. And as we contemplated what is the best way to do it, we felt that God has given us the media to impact our world. I really believe that breakthroughs in communication have not happened by chance, but have happened as the will of God so that we could tell people the world over, God loves you, He has a plan for your life, and you can trust him. So at any length, I resigned from the church, 
took a love offering of $722, went down on Larmer Street, and bought a massive professional recorder from Bursting Appleby, never forget it. I mean, it was about the size of a washing machine. And we began producing five-minute devotionals. Why five minutes? We said five minutes is long enough to be effective, but short enough that you can hear it while you're driving to work or you're in the kitchen and so forth. And people says, well, why don't you do something like 30 minutes? I said, not too long, five minutes. And out of that has grown a ministry that is touching many hearts and lives around the world. Right now, we've got, I think, a 20-second video clip that we'll share with you that will give you a little insight to what Guidelines is about today. Roll the text. Every day, people all over the world live in fear, pain, conflict, and brokenness. They live disconnected from the one who gives life. Why haven't they heard of him? Because some live in the most remote places on earth with little or no contact with the outside world. Some live under oppression, where any expression of faith could result in imprisonment or death. Some are the first followers of Jesus in their country. They have no pastor, no church, and no community. If only someone could tell them that hope is so much closer than they know. Together, we are the voice to reach the unreached. Guidelines International Ministries exists to transform lives with the message of Jesus. We help people come to know God and show them how to live out their faith. For over 50 years, we've created short devotionals that share the love of God and provide simple and practical teaching. These devotionals are shared all over the world through radio broadcasts and online programs. Since 1963, we have impacted millions of people in over 100 countries, and our devotionals have been translated into over a dozen languages. We know that God is leading us to reach more people, in more languages, and in more countries. We're exploring new technologies and using our resources effectively to reach those with the greatest need. But Guidelines' mission has been and will always be the same. To transform lives with the message of Jesus.
our daily devotionals are sent out to thousands of people five days a week. And if you would like to receive them, no obligation whatsoever, go to guidelines.org and click on the right box. And then that last question, do I care about you? Yes, very much. And subsequently, I'm going to bring a message this morning that can make a great deal of difference in your life. I call it how to have a life of significance through the power of the Holy Spirit. But I need to take just a moment and let you know there is but one God, not three gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but one God who is manifest three ways. We all know that God sent his Son, John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be, what's the next word? Saved. Saved. There are not two kinds of people, or three kinds of people, not Democrats and Republicans, but people who have found Jesus Christ, whom we consider to be saved, and people who are lost who have not yet found Jesus Christ. There are not three gods, there is one God, but God has revealed himself three ways. God the Father, God the Son, who lived among us for a number of years before the Romans crucified him, and then God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not another God, he is the manifestation of God's presence. We call it the Trinity. And to be very honest with you, it is not always easy to understand the Trinity. I'm thinking of the time that I had a telephone call. A man who was a film producer in Hollywood had attempted to take his life, and he was not successful at it. And he called a radio station and said, I really need help. Can you send somebody who would help me? And they say, yeah, there's this guy, Harold Saylor. He lives fairly close to you. So... I will always remember meeting him at a restaurant overlooking the ocean. He had a Jewish background by ethnicity, and subsequently he found it very difficult to accept the fact that God had sent his son, and his son in turn said, I will give you power through the work of the Holy Spirit. So as we were together, I uh, took my water glass and I said, look, Milo, you see my water glass here? I said, my water has H2O in it. I said, if you look out over the ocean, you see fog. That's H2O in a different format. And I said, again, ice cubes in my glass, H2O in solid form. I said, it's all H2O, but just in a different format. And so this morning, I'm going to be talking with you about how you can have a life of significance through the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you can find God's power to meet the need of your life. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. Don't love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. 
and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And then Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I earnestly plead with you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so you can demonstrate what is that good and acceptable and complete will of God. I want to underline two things. The contrast between the world and the filling of God's Holy Spirit. So either you're conformed to the world or you're transformed, and it is this transformation that I want to talk with you, talk with you about this morning. Significance and achievement as viewed by the world is vastly different from the way God views achievement. Consider the names of the following individuals. George Eastman, founder of Eastman Kodak, Lee Ki Pong, vice president of Korea, Kurt Cobain, the musician, Vincent Van Gogh, who first went into ministry but decided ministry was not for him and he became a painter. If you get to uh, Holland and the Netherlands, you can go see the Van Gogh Museum. Marilyn Monroe, movie star. Lauren Scott, fashion designer. Robin Williams, actor and entertainer. And more recently, Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spain. Anthony Bourdain, a newscaster. Kate Spain, a fashion designer. All of the names of the individuals that I read, those individuals have two things in common. Number one, they achieved success as the world views success. But finding it did not satisfy, they ended their lives in suicide. Achievement is often bought with three currencies. We trade these for success. Integrity, your marriage and family, and your health. What is integrity? You are not born with either character or integrity. Integrity is something we learn from our parents. But altogether too often, and especially in the culture in which we live, parents do not convey what integrity is by their lives. Your character and integrity are intertwined. Your character is the sum total of your decisions in life, either good or bad. Your daily decisions and choices, negatively or positively, determine character. Integrity is not measured in percentage like a batter for the Colorado Rockies. We do not say he has 42% integrity. Either you've got integrity or you don't. A Toronto newspaper began getting complaints from customers who said they had taken their car to a garage and the guy who owned the garage wanted to do work that was not necessary. So they decided to send a reporter out and do a story on the garages that were ripping people off. So the reporter would go to a garage, but before he got there, he stopped the car, raised the hood, and pulled a spark plug loose. So when he pulled into the garage, he would tell the mechanic, you know, I don't know anything about cars, but my car's not running right anymore. C can you tell me what it needs? And he was told, you need a new carburetor. 
you need to rebuild your engine, you need this or that. And then he pulled into a garage where a mechanic was working whose name was Cecil Bainton. And he told him the same thing, I don't know anything about cars, but my car's not running right. So Cecil raised the hood, saw the spark plug wire was not connected, he popped it down, and the guy said, how much do I owe you? You don't owe me anything, I run it on a shop. Uh-huh. So guess who was featured when he wrote the article about dishonest, dishonest mechanics? The article fe featured Cecil Bainton, but a week later, Cecil called the reporter and said, would you please run another article and tell people to stop coming to my shop? He said, they line up for blocks out there. I can't get any work done for giving people estimates. Wow. There is another currency that people often use or spend to achieve what they think of as success, and that is a marriage and a family. I remember the time a businessman sat down with me and he said, I've been very successful in business. I'm the president of my company. I've made a lot of money. I knew that he had made a lot of money because I knew the name of the company that he headed. But he said, when it comes to my marriage and family, I have been a miserable failure. He told me of a broken relationship with his wife and his wife being mentally ill barricaded herself in the penthouse of a major hotel and wouldn't come out of the room. Two kids who were at Stanford, who wanted nothing to do with him, but they did want his money. And the question that I would ask you is this, has a man really succeeded who has learned how to make money, but who has failed in the most important relationships of life, that involving our marriages and our children? A young man spoke of his dad saying he was a Phi Beta copper, a Rhodes Scholar, and a company president, but he flunked marriage, fatherhood, friendship, and fun. Song of Solomon 1 verse 6 says, you have made me a keeper of the vineyard, but my own vineyard have I not kept. The third currency that we sometimes use to achieve success in the world is our health. We simply work ourselves to death. And then when the doctor says, you've had a heart failure and it's really very serious. We're thinking about giving you an implant. We begin to panic and we end up going to Mayo Clinic or go to Mexico or go to the Philippines to Baguio because we want to regain our health. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and it can be abused or used properly. How can you have a life of significance through the power of the Holy Spirit? Number one, turn your life and your resources over to God. Give Him your plans. A number of years ago, it was 1955, five young men who were missionaries flew into a little sandal, uh, sandy uh, uh, runway in, in, in Ecuador. Five missionaries, all committed individuals, but the Waronis, called Akas in those days, came down with spears and speared them. And then when they didn't immediately dry, they drug them down to the stream and they drowned them. One of those was a very committed young man whose name was Jim Elliott. 
Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives to God what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. For a number of years, we produced a weekly television program. And on one occasion, his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, was my guest. And before we rolled the tape, I turned to Elizabeth and said, Elizabeth, we've got a generation right now who doesn't really know who your husband was. Tell us, what kind of a person was Jim Elliot? She said, Jim was one who never asked the question that people are asking today, who am I? His question was, whose am I? And he would respond by quoting 1 Corinthians 6.19 that says, you are not your own, you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit which belong to him. Some of you may recognize Bill and Vonette Bright. They founded an organization called Campus Crusade, now called Crew. When they went into ministry, Bill drew up a legal document bequeathing everything he had to Jesus Christ. Wow. Number three, if you want to have a life that is spirit-driven, acknowledge that what you really have is a stewardship, doesn't belong to you. God has placed it in your hands so you can use it wisely. When we were living in the Philippines, I was invited to fly up north to a tribal area where Wycliffe Bible translators had gone in and translated the New Testament. We flew in on a rickety B-29 that had been shot full of holes. I wasn't sure we'd get there in that old B-29, but we did. And when we got there, the rest of the team were doctors. And they put a stethoscope around my neck and said, now, if they're spitting blood, they've got ulcers, and if they've got this, send them over here. Well, because they called me doctor, a lot of people wanted me, thought, thought that I was better than the Filipino doctors, when really I knew nothing about medicine. But subsequently, when the sun began to set, the people came from the mountains around there. There was kind of a community hut that had been built there. And I was to speak that night. It was a long, slow night because I spoke in English like I'm talking with you. And it was translated into Ifugao and Ilocano. So about 9 or 9.30, my translator turned to me and he said, you see that guy over there? He's got a good question for you. Sure, what's his question? He's asking, why should we who have so little give to God who has so much? I took another look at this guy. He's sitting on his haunches like this. I'm not going to do it. I'd fall over in a couple of minutes. But I noticed this guy is not wearing clothes like we're wearing here. He had a G-string on that was barely sufficient to cover essentials. And he had an old T-shirt that must have come out of a missionary barrel. I look at this guy. Why should we, who have so little, give to God who has so much? I paused for a minute and I said, for three reasons. Number one, simple obedience to what God says in his word. Upon the first day of the week, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. If God has prospered you, he wants you to share that. If he has not prospered you, no obligation. I said, reason number two, 
it is a measure of blessing. You cannot outgive the Lord. Luke 6, 38, Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For with the same measure you give, it will be given back to you. What I share with you is not to brag, but Darlene and I recognized as soon as we got married that this was a privilege to use some of what God has given us to reach others. And we have tithed from the day we got married. A tithe is considered a tenth. And I said, the third reason is you can pool your resources and send somebody over the mountain into the next valley and tell them about Jesus Christ. That's what missions is all about. You want to have a life that is filled with joy through the power of the Holy Spirit? Then number three, present your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. There are no how to be filled with the Holy Spirit in three easy lessons taught in the Bible. But there are certain steps that we take. I think the verse that is closest to it is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I earnestly plead with you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. For a moment, let's focus on your body. God made you in his image, a beautiful act of creative power. A body consists of about 50 trillion cells, a few more, a few less, and 10,000 thoughts, or 50 trillion cells with 30,000 genes. Your brain is the control center of your body. Your brain weighs about 2.2 pounds. 10,000 thoughts are processed through your brain every day. It consists of 100 billion neurons in two hemispheres, left side, right side. Your heart pumps up to 18,000 gallons daily through 75,000 miles of veins, arteries, and capillaries. The iris of your eye is better than almost all professional cameras. You go out into the sunshine, the iris of your eye begins to close. You go into a closet where it's dark, it opens up. Awesome. Google uh, pic camera pixels and you will see exactly what I'm telling you. Your tongue is the most sensitive part of your body. It tells you what tastes good, what doesn't taste good, what's sweet, what is sour. Paul Brand was a missionary doctor and he said, your hand though is the, the epitome of God's creation that is unduplicated by science. Yes, I am fully aware that scientists have now uh, produced some things that tend to replace what hands are, but your hand is something that can never be completely replaced. Paul says, give God the control of your body. What your eyes behold, what you think about, what your hands touch, where your feet take you, even your sexual organs. God made all parts of the human body good, not some good and not bad. He says, this is your reasonable service. Your body is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift to him. Then number four, you want a life of significance through the power of the Holy Spirit? Then be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he said, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess but be filled 
with the Spirit. What is the Spirit-filled life? First, I want to be very clear, the Spirit-filled life is not something that is reserved for pastors or missionaries or people like Billy Graham or maybe a few super spiritual people. It is God's provision for every one of His children, everyone. Do you remember in the book of Acts chapter 6, the apostles were getting too busy to take care of the needs of all the saints, and so they chose seven men full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. So it was obvious to those who were there who were Spirit-filled individuals. The filling of the Holy Spirit is the key to spiritual power. Now, I want to be very clear about something. When you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit made your body a temple. He came to indwell you. Every Christian has received the Holy Spirit, but every Christian is not a Spirit-filled person. What is the difference? There are two Greek words that you can translate to fill. One is just a simple filling. I uh, have a glass of water here. The other glass is supposed to be empty, but it's full. So I'll, I'll try to illustrate it anyway. Okay. In John 20 to 22, Jesus met with the disciples in the upper room. Got it? And he breathed on them and said, Receive you the Holy Spirit. And the word that he used, receive you, is a strong word. For example, if I had something here, uh, I'm not going to do this. Well, I guess I will. Okay. I said, now look, I got a pencil here. Get ready. I'm going to throw it. I throw the pencil and he misses it. <laughs> Bad throw. <laughs> okay. One way he can put it is right now, receive this. Boom. You got it. Okay. That's one way. But another is there is a need, and when I give you something that fills that need, it is complete. The disciples in the upper room received the Holy Spirit right then, but they were not filled with the Spirit until Acts 2-4, where people had come together from all over the world. They were there because of Passover, and subsequently the whole place was shaken, and they received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Wow, what does the Holy Spirit do? He indwells your body. He makes it a temple. Number two, he gives you spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? You say, that's kind of an embarrassing question. Well then, what are you really good at? Are you an accountant? Are you a business person? advice and counsel? Well, what you're good at is usually a reflection of what God has gifted you with so you can make a difference in ministry. The Holy Spirit not only gifts you, He enlightens you, giving you insights that you would never have any other way. Several years ago, I was in China. I spoke to a large gathering of people on how you resolve conflict in the workplace. The next day, my cell phone rang, and the person on the other end of the wire said, are you Dr. Harold Sale? I said, yes, I am. 
uh, we have a question. Did you get a business visa when you came into China? And I immediately responded, no. When I donate my services, I come in on a tourist visa. When I am paid professionally, I got a business visa. That satisfied the caller. Click. I thought, wow, I'm not smart enough to have thought of that. It had to be the Holy Spirit who prompted me. Wow. The infusion of the Holy Spirit brings the gifts of the Holy Spirit that change our lives. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And when you analyze those things, those gifts of the Spirit correct many of the personality flaws that result in broken homes, broken hearts, and broken lives. The Holy Spirit leads you and directs you into the will of God. The Holy Spirit becomes the air traffic controller of your life. <laughs> Good, okay. If you Google air traffic controller, this is what you will get. Air traffic controllers are personnel responsible for the safe, orderly, and expeditious flow of air traffic in the global air traffic control system. In other words, air traffic controllers keep flying safe. Wow, that's like the Holy Spirit takes over your life as the air traffic controller. On October 1, 2017, Stephen Paddock, a crazed individual, opened fire on a crowd of concert goers, goers at the Route 91 Harvest Music Festival on the Las Vegas Strip in Nevada. It left 58 people dead and 420 wounded. Insane? Yes. My youngest daughter was at that concert. She and some of her friends, she said it was good, just old country music, you know. But she woke up on Sunday, October 1, and she said, Dad, it was the strangest thing I ever saw. I just felt this gut feeling Go home, go home. She said, hey, I'll pause for a minute. She had paid for her hotel room that next night too. And those of you who know us know that we sailors on that tribe, we're pretty frugal. If we rent a hotel room, we usually hang out there. But at any length, she boarded a flight and she came home. And then she saw on television what she had just avoided. Now, does that mean she's more spiritual than anybody else? Not at all. But it meant the Holy Spirit was the one who said, it is time for you to leave, get going. When you read the book of Acts chapter 16, you read that Paul and Silas experienced the same thing. Paul and Silas on their missionary journey, this is Acts 16, they had determined to go east into Bithynia. Had they gone east, Russia would have heard the gospel. Instead, they went west because the Spirit would not let them. I will always wonder, what happened? How did the Spirit stop them? Could they not get a visa? Could they not get transportation? Was it a gut feeling? We'll never know. But I do know that the Holy Spirit becomes the air traffic controller of your life. Romans 8, 28, 26, and 28. Likewise, the Spirit helps us 
in our weakness. For we don't know to pray for things as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's what the Holy Spirit does as he takes control of your life. He also gives you the assurance of your salvation. There are times that I will be talking to someone and I will say, hey, if you stood at the door of God's heaven and knocked, and Peter opened the door and said, why should I let you in? What would you say? And it usually kind of catches somebody off guard. Well, I'm a pretty good guy. I've uh, given a lot of money to Donald Trump's campaign. No, that's not going to do it. Um, or I have done this or that, huh? There's only one thing. I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That opens the door to God's heaven. He gives you the assurance of salvation. First John 4.13 by this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Beautiful. Okay, the question is, and this is the most important part of my message this morning, how can you receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit? A number of years ago, I wrote a doctoral dissertation on this thing. I read over 200 books by evangelicals. And I came to the conclusion, almost all of them are trying to say the same thing, just using different language. Some would say, you should surrender. Another, you should present your body. Another, you should yield. Another, you should trust. Well, I'm going to give you several things that are important in bringing this together. First of all, recognize your need to be a spirit-filled Christian. It's entirely one thing to say, well, boy, what he's talking about is just what so-and-so needs. Uh-uh. But when you look at your own spiritual life and you realize there is a deficiency, yes, if there's an accident and you lost your life, you'd go to heaven. But there's no power in your life, and you know that. So number one, recognize your own need. Number two, if there is any sin that you have closeted in your life, get rid of it. I understand that there are satellites in space that are so powerful that if you're standing outside reading a newspaper in the sun, the satellite can zoom right in on it. The Bible tells us that nothing is hidden in the sight of God, but all things, according to Hebrews, are naked and open unto him with whom we have to do confess any sin that you've been sheltering. Let's suppose that you want to buy a house, and subsequently uh, you like everything in the house, but the realtor says there's just one kind of sticky point that I have to share with you. The owner wants to put a provision in the contract that would allow him access to the attic uh, he has some things in his attic that are kind of personal, and uh, I know it's a little out of the ordinary, but would you be willing to let him have access to your attic? You would say, no way, Buster, are you crazy? If I buy the house, I want the whole thing. But sometimes we kind of hide things in our lives that we don't want a husband or a wife to know or other people to know that you know are wrong. Get rid of them. Wow. Number three, give yourself completely 
to the Lord as you know how. Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And then you accept the fullness of the Holy Spirit with thanksgiving. Galatians 3, 13 and 14, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Here is what I recommend. If my message has spoken to your heart this morning and you have a hunger for more of God and the Holy Spirit to take control of your life, go home this afternoon, turn off the television set, shut down your cell phone, and get on your knees before God and say, Lord, I want the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Here I am. Fill me with yourself. And then, what should you expect to happen? I cannot tell you that because you're an individual. And God meets us as individuals in different ways. I do believe that three factors figure into this. Number one, your personality. Number two, your temperament. And number three, your expectations. What should I expect so that I know I have been filled with the Spirit? I will tell you, your ability to love other people. Jesus told the disciples, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Hey, anybody in your life that constantly bugs you, somebody in the office who talks about you behind your back, somebody who makes fun of you, whatever, when you begin to love those who do not love you, you know that's the work of the Holy Spirit. God's peace fills your heart and lets you reach out to people who, frankly, don't love you. The response includes three things. One, your personality. Two, your temperament. And three, your expectations. Question, would you say you're an extrovert or an introvert? Do you know the difference? The extrovert is the booming guy like this, and the introvert is the one who's very quiet and shy. That has something to do with it. Number two, what's your personality like? And number three, what are your expectations? I want to tell you about three renowned men of God who all had an experience with the Holy Spirit, and all three were vastly different. The first one was a man by the name of Dwight Lyman Moody. Dwight L. Moody was the pastor of a, a Chicago church. And the fire, a fire came through and it burned down the building where they had been meeting together. But there were two women who were also in Moody's church and they sat on the front row and they came to him and said, Mr. Moody, we are going to pray that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, don't pray for me. I don't need this. I'll pray for other. No, we're praying for you. And when the fire burned down the church, he got on board a train. He went to New York City. He went to the home of a friend and said, let me have access to one of your bedrooms upstairs. And all I ask is, please, do not disturb me. Do not disturb me. What happened in that bedroom was never revealed. But when Moody came down the stairs of that bedroom, he was a changed man. 
He went back home and he began to preach. He preached with power. And God had answered the prayers of those two women. Another man totally different was Ari Tori, Reuben A. Tori. He was a graduate of, uh, of, of a um, seminary and he knew a lot about the Bible. But Tori came to the place where ministry was just perfunctory. And he went to his office, told his secretary, hold my calls, I have business with God. And he got down on his knees and he began to pray. He said, God, if you don't do something in my life, I'm finished. I cannot continue in ministry. God, do something. He got up off his knees, a changed person. And did he ever say, I want to tell you about my experience in the office. It was quiet. It was real. It was personal. And then there was an attorney whose name was Charles Finney. Hey, any of you who are attorneys, it's okay to raise a hand. Uh, any attorneys who are here? <laughs> okay, my grandson just took the bar this last week, so I, I'm very sympathetic. Well, most attorneys that I know, if they're successful, are type A personalities, boom, boom, boom. They're not the quiet, shy kind, right? Well, that's how Charles Finney was. But he came to a point in his spiritual life when it was absolutely flat. And he said, God, you've got to do something for me. And he went out into the woods, and he got down on his knees, and he started to pray. He lifted his voice to heaven, his hands, and God met him and filled him with the Holy Spirit. He said, joy just bubbled over and over and over until he said, God, I can't handle anymore. This just stop it. Wow. Now, if you measure one person's experience by another, you will say, maybe this guy got it, maybe this one didn't. Uh-uh. God deals with you as an individual. But on your knees before God, helpless, he will change your life. I wrote 275 pages in a doctoral dissertation. I had it up here. But when God put it down here, it changed my life. And there's no going back. No going back. So never judge someone else's experience by your experience or your experience by someone else's experience because we are individuals. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And that makes the difference. That's it. From this point on, it's between you and God that He can meet you with the fullness of His Spirit and with His power. God is here today. And if he has spoken to your heart, respond to him and let him meet the need in your life. Now, if you're here today, but you have never really received Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's where it all begins. Because what I've talked to you about today makes, makes no sense whatsoever until you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Remember, there are only two kinds of people in the world, not the Democrats and the Republicans, believe me, but people who are saved and people who are lost or who need to be saved. What does it mean to be saved? To be saved is simply this. Christ died in your place on the cross. And subsequently, he paid the price for our sin. And when you say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior, he comes to fill you with his presence and make your body a temple. My Sunday school teacher when I was a kid was a young man whose name was Glenn Brown. He went through a seminary at Denver Seminary. He was on board the USS Okinawa during the Vietnam conflict. And the USS Okinawa had been in Vietnam and it was steaming its way back to the Philippines and uh, one of the bases there when about at midnight, the alarm was sounded that someone was overboard. And when a man is overboard, everybody wakes up and they rush to the, the deck of the ship and they lean over to see if they can see who it is in the water. Well, you don't turn a helicopter carrier around, uh, you know, like you go around a block. It takes them about a half a mile at least to turn that big ship around and start back the way they come. Everybody is looking in the water. The spotlight is on the water. Finally, somebody sees a hand that's waving, and somebody says, there he is! And sure enough, it was the sailor who had fallen overboard. They put a dinghy over the side. They brought him up, took him down to the mess hall, and Glenn went down and said, sailor, what happened to you? He says, oh, sir, I, I, I was standing on the deck of the ship and by the gunwale, but he said, I lost my footing, and... I, I fell in the water. Probably the guy was thinking of his girlfriend back home and went to sleep on the bridge. But he said, I can't tell you how it was when I saw the ship going farther and farther into the dark. And I knew I would be lost. And then you turned around and you started coming back. And I knew you were looking for me. I can't tell you the joy that came when I knew I would be saved. That's exactly what happens when you say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. It doesn't mean he's going to make you a preacher. God knows we've got probably too many of them already. <laughs> but God's going to use you as a light in a dark world. You may be the only one working in the office. I'm thinking of a young man who worked in parts at one of the local, uh, one of the uh, auto shops near our, our office, and he became a Christian. Before he was a Christian, he cursed all the time. And then when he became a Christian, he stopped cursing. And so one of the other employees in the shop needed to refer to him, and he couldn't remember his name. He said, you know that guy who works in parts, who used to curse all the time, doesn't cuss anymore? That's the guy, the one who doesn't cuss anymore. Oh. When he takes control of your life, it is amazing how he works in you to accomplish his will and purpose. If what I have said tonight or today makes sense, then you be the one who asks him to take control of your life. And I can tell you one thing, you're off on a great experience because he gives you guidance, he gives you insight, he gives you wisdom that you don't have, but it has to be 
because he did something in your life. If you are not a Christian, I would highly encourage you to come forward after the final prayer or the song and the prayer, whatever we do. And there will be some of the pastors right here who can pray with you, listen to you, encourage your heart, and answer any questions that you have. And if you have a question for me, just send it to herald at guidelines.org and I will correspond with you. I found as I've grown older, people confuse wisdom with age and think that I'm a very wise man because I'm no longer a teenager. But I will be glad to communicate with you, answer whatever questions you have. Would you rise to your feet now, please? Let's bow together in prayer. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder how many here and you would say, Harold, what you said this morning really speaks to my heart and I'm going to ask the Lord to take control of my life and really fill me with his Holy Spirit. Would you raise your hand just high enough so that I can see it? Ah, uh, yes, there are many, there are many who are here. Father, let our hands be ro lightning rods that reach to the very throne of grace in heaven. For those who raised a hand, fill them with the power of your spirit and show them that it is not through our strength, but you are the one who gives us strength to be and to do all that you want us to be and do. Thank you, Father, for we pray in Jesus' strong name and all of God's people said, Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.